So we are uh, in the church calendar. We're in the seventh Sunday after Easter. And next, next week starts uh, Pentecost. And so in the weeks following Easter, what we've been talking about, what the questions we've been asking are about what is this way of interacting with God that happens in a post-resurrection world? With a world where Jesus has shown up on the scene, has taught, um, has healed, has died and resurrected and ascended into heaven, how do we as 21st century Christians interact with the presence of God in this world? And uh, we've, we've covered a, a, a number of topics from the scriptures about how that can look. And today, I have a sort of an interesting title uh, for our sermon, and that is Personal Lord and Savior. Um, and we're going to be talking about this idea, and particularly this phrase, because it's had such an impact in our culture in a lot of our, our growing up. And we're going to connect it to, to the scripture this morning. So that's where we're going to start. I'm going to ask you a question that you've probably heard before. Do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? I bet there was a number of reactions uh, in, inside of you when you heard me ask that question. Some people probably felt triggered. Other people may have felt an impulse to quickly say yes other people might have felt like, why, are you, why is that such a big deal? Who, who says that? What is that about? Either way, this phrase has meant a big deal for good and for ill in our culture in recent times. And it's really deeply connected to this question we've been asking this whole Easter series about how we connect with the presence of God. It also reminds me of the situation that all of us have been in on, on some side of it, where you're in a group of people and you give somebody a compliment, right? You say something nice about them. And then as soon as you finish giving them a compliment, you become aware again of all the people in that little group that you're in. And maybe you feel the impulse, well, uh, I feel like I have to now say something nice about the other people in the circle. Anybody ever felt that way before? Or maybe you've been on the other end of it and you're not the one being complimented, and you feel like, oh, I wish, I wish they would say something like that about me. Or maybe you've been in that situation, and you're seeing somebody else be complimented, and you're just thinking to yourself, wow, that was nice. I'm really glad that that, that person complimented that other person. Either way, what this draws attention to is the need for us to have a personal connection within a group, within a broader understanding of life. And that's why I think part of why this phrase has caught on or did catch on in our American culture, that's part of the reason. It's, it's because we need something particular and something personal to latch onto. And when that isn't happening, sometimes we can lose connection with the broader world around us. Think about it this way, uh, restaurants. You're probably more likely to go to a restaurant out of all the choices you have, and there are some good choices in Memphis, Tennessee, if I do say so myself, um, especially BBQ. Uh, 
when somebody suggests a restaurant to you, you're more likely to go to that one, to try that one out if it's somebody that you trust their, their taste in uh, food. Or, or a movie, or a book, or an activity. That there's something about somebody that you know, somebody that's personal to you, who's recommending something for your life for you that you tend to respond more to than just some random Yelp review, right? See those reviews where they give like one star and it's just because like they didn't have napkins on the table or something? I mean, come on. I hope none of y'all do that. I hate that. On Amazon, they're like, one star, it came late. Well, that didn't tell me anything about the package, like what, what you actually bought. All right, the side rant there. So this is true of, of so many things. Like, are, are you scared of certain things that maybe you had some personal connection to? Are you, do you have a phobia of spiders or clowns? Clowns, anybody? Anybody really scared of clowns? Okay, a few clown people out there. Swimming? Anybody scared of swimming or dogs or needles? Oh, man, needles, yeah. Okay, so it seems like it would almost make sense that we would come to this point where in our culture this idea of accepting Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior would catch on, even though that phrase doesn't show up in the Bible anywhere. Now, it does, there is definitely a sense in these verses here of that sort of idea because we see that Jesus is speaking specifically to these 11 people in front of them, or he's praying for them, I should say. And he he says specifically he's not praying for anybody else, right? So this is the first thing I want us to investigate here this morning, is how does this idea of the personal, this idea of how we need these personal connections to navigate our world, how does that impact the ways that we think about and seek to interact with God for good and for bad? Because here's the thing, here's, here's, here's what the, the scriptures say, right? It doesn't say when Jesus commissions the disciples, he doesn't say, go out into all the world and tell them to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. If you're familiar with the passage, it says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. But then, but then we read that, so it's about uh, disciples and baptism and teaching and following. We read that, and then we pull out this verse 9 here from John 17. It says, I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. So one passage, the Matthew passage, Matthew 28 that I first read, is, is very universal. It's very broad. And then this passage that we're looking at this morning is deeply personal. Is Jesus, he's letting us know. Actually, here's what Jesus is letting us know when we read this. He's letting us know he ain't praying for you right now. Jesus ain't praying for you. He's praying for Peter, and he's praying for John and Andrew and all the rest of the disciples. That it's okay to specifically and personally connect with some people and not with others. And you're like, well, yes, of, of course, Jamin, I, I know this. And yet, have you ever felt overwhelmed by just the problems, the sheer magnitude of problems and suffering in the world to the point where it paralyzed you, or the point where you felt like you couldn't even pray for somebody because you're like, but these people over here have it so worked, so much worse. 
Well, of course you've done that at different times in interpersonal conversation, right? Where you've been, you've been talking about something and then all of a sudden you have a self-awareness that the person you're talking to has suffered more than you have in that way. And you say, well, but of course you've suffered more than I have or you've had it harder than I have. So there's this there's sort of tension that we live in and that exists here in the scriptures with this idea of the personal and then the bigger picture, the more universal aspect of living as a human being. So there's this deeply personal aspect and it's really important and valuable. And it's also dangerous. But before we get to that, I want to talk about more about the value of it. So this idea of this personal assent, this agreeing for yourself personally that you're going to follow Jesus is incredibly important. It's a, uh, it's a shift that you make within yourself to make a change in your life. Repent means to change directions. It's, it's an idea here that's present in the scriptures that, that God cares about you on that personal of a level, that he knows your name, that he, know, that he knew you as you were being knit in the womb together, that God sees you as an individual with your individual passions and desires and thoughts. And yet, when we take this sort of phrase and even this sort of thinking of personal Lord and Savior, um, and we see how that's played out, we see a loss of something in some ways that the Bible is deeply concerned about, that the scriptures and that Jesus is deeply concerned about. And that is we get a lot of times a loss of the sense of community and the deep connections that the Christian faith has to a larger community. We end up sometimes with this personal savior that just kind of lives in our pocket that is like a feel-good sort of comfortable you know, feelings-based relationship, and, and we contrast that with the church as being just a bunch of rules and regulations and rituals and stuff like that. It sort of culminates in these kind of phrases. Only God can judge me. My faith is a private issue. And, and a lot of times what can happen is you, you can be somebody who claims Jesus, you claim to have accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, but you're like an arrow without a mark. You're like a, like a compass that keeps spinning. Imagine, uh, imagine if somebody treated their spouse uh, this way, as, as like these phrases, like this sort of personal, private thing. Like, hey, so are you single? Uh, well, actually, my, my relationship status is private. Well, is that a wedding band I see on your finger? It, it, it's none of your business. It's just a... It's just a ring. It could be a wedding band. could not be a wedding band. Okay, so you want to go on a date? Uh, well, um, I, don't, I don't know, maybe, but probably not. I mean, it just, it just wouldn't work. I mean, how would, how would you feel, Stacy, if that's how Brandon was asking questions out, out in public? You'd probably think it was funny, but um, it doesn't work. So there's a piece missing, right? Of course, there's aspects of our relationships that are private and personal, but that could never be the whole thing. So, 
this idea of the importance of the personal and how it got to the point where for many of us to hear that phrase, many people who find themselves at Christ City, to hear that phrase, have you accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? For us to get to the point where we feel triggered by that because of the negative experiences we've had around that, I want to talk about a little bit about sort of a bigger picture just for a moment, zoom out just for a moment, about our culture as a whole, our culture in the United States, and then see if we can find some, some balance here um, from this personal sort of language to this more universal and connected language and see if we can find something that helps us navigate our lives and our relationship with God in a more holistic way. So um, here's, here's the deal with Americans. We're, we're hyper-individualistic. We are so incredibly focused on the individual. It's not even comparable with almost any other large country. Um, and as of 2012, this is from a Scientific America article, Americans who account for only 5% of the world's population, we use half, 50% of the globe's solid waste comes from us because of the things that we consume. 5% of the population, 50% of the world's global waste. Listen to this. A child born in the United States will create 13 times as much ecological damage over the course of his or her lifetime than a child born in Brazil. Okay. Um, the average American will drain as many resources as 35 natives of India and consume 53 times more goods and services than someone from China. That's pretty incredible. And to, to further make that connection of how focused on the individual and our personal experiences we are, uh, I wanted to, to pull in this thing, this, this um, Hungarian uh, psychologist named Geert Hofstede. He created this thing called the Cultural Dimensions Index. And one of the things that he measured in this cultural dimensions index was it, how individualistic or collectivistic uh, a society or a country was. So the higher the number on this scale, the more individualistic the culture, which means it's more self-oriented, individual effort is favored uh, in business and learning, and it, and it favors competition, over cooperation, okay? And a lower number signals a more collectivist culture, which is more group-oriented, relationships are essential to business and learning, and it values cooperation, or, or uh, yes, cooperation over competition. So uh, we don't have our slides up and running yet, so I just printed out a little chart. So remember, the higher the number, the, uh, the more individualistic the culture, the lower the number, the less individualistic. So I just, uh, going back to the Brazil example, so the United States scored a 91 as the highest out of any, any other scaled country, um, and Brazil was about a, a 38. 
So the lower the score, the more collectivist, the more cooperation, communally oriented that they are. So um, the reason why I, I'm taking the time to talk about this is not that you feel bad or shame, but for us to realize that our implicit biases, the biases that we bring to how we understand the individual versus the collective, the particular versus the universal are skewed dramatically towards the individual in our country. So when we, when, when we as, as uh, Christians, and when we think we're like really being real communal and doing things real communally, we're, we're most likely not even scratching the surface of somewhere like um, Guatemala or Ecuador or Venezuela who are all under 10 in that chart that we score a 91 on. So, we consume a lot. We consume a lot of the world's resources. And part of the reason is because when you're independent, when you have an individualistic uh, perspective and culture, um, then you do less things in common and you consume more privately. So, is it then, is it then any wonder that we would have a phrase that so many of us have, have strong responses to that was connected to Christianity like personal Lord and Savior? Right? Makes sense, doesn't it? When that's just the sort of the bent of our culture. So, I'm up here not telling you that it's bad to have this personal relationship and connection. It's great, it's good. It's one of the best things, I think, that uh, specifically American white evangelicalism has brought into the, the main vernacular of the spiritual life. I think it's so incredibly important. And yet we can see, we can see the harm only having this type of perspective, this hyper-individualistic perspective, causes even on a global scale to the world. So what do we do with that? How do we connect this personal and this universal more? In verse 7 from John 17, Jesus is speaking and he's praying and he says, now they know, the disciples, that everything you have given me comes from you. Verse 8, for I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. Jesus here is praying, but as he's praying, he's explaining that what he gave to the disciples, he got from God. Okay, right? That's what he's saying there. And what that means for us, that's elsewhere in the scriptures as well, is that we can see Jesus as a conduit as a doorway, as a road, as a pathway to God, to the very large, universal, holistic, grand, all-encompassing God. Or, to say it the way I've heard Father Richard Rohr talk about it, he says this, the particular is the doorway to the universal. Ah. Okay, so, so 
When I think about when Benjamin was born, my firstborn son, and we were in the hospital, me and my wife were in the hospital, and this baby boy that was of my own blood was there with me, and I'm holding him, snowing outside in December. I was overcome with emotion. And the way I related to the world changed dramatically. That my life and what it was about shifted. I could, I could feel the changes happening in my heart and my brain on a visceral level. I know everybody's experience is different, but that's what it was like for me. And I, I remember, and I, I've had these moments since multiple times, many times, where I was so engaged with the love that I felt for my child. And then all of a sudden, in almost the same way that when I give somebody a compliment and become aware of the other people I haven't given compliments to, I became aware of all the little children that I didn't know, that I, that I, that I couldn't see, that maybe didn't have the love or the care that my son was able to have in that moment. So the particular of that moment, the particular of my child, led me into the universal. See, there's, there's a sort of an either-or dynamic to this individualism or this collectivism, but it's, it's not really that way, or it doesn't have to be that way, that the personal is the gateway to the universal. So, going back to that, that uh, scripture in Matthew 28, the commission to the disciples, what, what they talk about there, what Jesus is talking about, is baptism into this mystical body of Christ, a community, a collectivist group. And, and I have experienced and uh, been a part of kind of the like the door-to-door evangelism and you ask people to become, you know, uh, to, to accept Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. But uh, in a lot of cases, it's this every head bowed, every eye closed sort of culture where it becomes from the beginning just this personal thing that you do that nobody else is even supposed to know about necessarily or ask about when it's happening or occurring, as opposed to a baptism that's public, that you make sure that you let everybody know, I am transitioning in my life to being about this way of living, and now I'm moving into a community with these shared values, this universal understanding that I belong to God, and I belong to this community, and this community is having a collective impact on the world around me. Uh, One of the ways that I learned this recently, relearned this in a new way, is through feelings. Um, As I was growing up, uh, I was taught... Uh, by the grown-ups, you know, that there were, there were feelings that I had that were really uncomfortable for other people to hear about or know about, and I got that message in different ways. So I learned to suppress those feelings 
if I was really sad about something or really angry about something or even really glad about something, that there were times when it was best for me, so I thought, to suppress those feelings. And so what I tried to do there, this is what many of the younger generation of us are trying to do in a way, is I began to try to look at the bigger picture first and say, oh, well, how does everybody else feel? What does everybody else think about this? And then I'll decide what I feel on the inside. So, oh, you're sad you had a bad day? Well, there's children starving in Africa, so you should you know, feel better about yourself than you do. So it was sort of this opposite. It wasn't the, it wasn't the universal uh, or the particular being the gateway to the universal, but the inverse. That didn't work at all. It didn't work well for me at all. In the psychology world, it's just called codependency. As I began to do some recovery work uh, five or six years ago, through uh, counseling, through process groups, through my friends at Christ City, through some, even some 12-step work, I began to be able to understand and accept my personal feelings. I began to start with the particulars of what was happening inside of me to help me then connect to the world, to the universal. And, and here's what happened. I found that when I was at home with the particulars of who I was, my own sadness and grief, my anger, my gladness, my desires, my longings, that I became more empathetic, more compassionate, more willing to serve and help other people. See, the particulars became the gateway to the universal. So, in this scripture, Jesus is praying for his disciples. And he says, Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. So the disciples were learning this universal thing. You're learning about God through the particulars of their relationship with Jesus. So yes, Jesus, personal Lord and Savior, absolutely, as the gateway and the path to the universal, collectivist, communal understanding of what does that mean? How does that change the world and how you relate to people all around you? So I just want to to end this uh, time with a little bit of, of, of practical things related to this. So if you, if you kind of have this, it's something that, I, that I've encountered and will continue to encounter. It's, it's, the, it's the, the swing of the pendulum from this sort of personal Lord and Savior kind of Christianity. Lots of people at Christ City are going through this. And, and uh, unfortunately, what happens a lot of times is it's kind of like I'm going to throw out the personal and I'm going to somehow just land with all these sort of universal big T truths about the world for me. And so somehow I'm going to do that apart from any community that shaped or formed the particulars of how I learned to understand reality. Anybody feeling a little, little something when I say that? You can't actually do it. You have formed everything that you think and believe from the particulars of your life. And the way to that bigger understanding 
of God is through those. It's through the acceptance of those things. So you want to show you care about the world, you learn to care about the people right in front of you. You want to be connected to humanity, then you connect to a small community. Your particulars of your life, the good, the bad, and the ugly, are not something to dismiss or try to supersede, to move beyond, but something to consciously embrace. So, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Yes, and. Yes, and. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you meet us in the particulars of our life and that you draw us to a bigger picture as well. That you show us how much you care about us on a deep and personal level and that you call us to be open to the universal, to the bigger picture. Amen.